Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. We thank you for the time that we've had in 1 Thessalonians and still for a few more weeks. <coughs> we pray, Lord, that as we uh, look at your word, we might be impacted by it, empowered by it, challenged by it, and that you would be glorified by transformation in and through us. Father, God, our time we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Most weekdays, Monday through Thursday at 8.58 a.m., one of the administrative gurus on our staff comes over the intercom. Who knew that our phones have intercoms? I don't know. But they do. And over the intercom will come this message. Please gather for prayer in the workroom. And so on most Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, those staff that are available, we gather together for prayer. And when we gather, we pray for God's glory to be done, for evangelistic fervor, for missionary zeal. We pray for individuals who are grieving the loss of a loved one, who are suffering, who have sickness or upcoming surgeries or who are healing or have relationship difficulties. We pray for some of the prayer requests that come in. We pray for our community and our world. I remember one particular day we were gathering to pray and then afterwards several of us stuck around. We were talking and we were laughing and somehow or rather we got on the topic of who on our staff are rule keepers, and who on our staff are rule breakers. And so we began to divide the staff. The poster child for rule keepers is Dan McDonald. Dan has never seen a rule that he doesn't want to follow. And to the letter. The poster child for rule breakers is Sue McDonald. <laughs> Opposites attract. Now, some of you are saying, not sweet Sue, no way. Well, when I approached Sue, I said, Sue, are you a rule breaker or a rule keeper? And this is exactly the quote she responded. Well, that depends on if the rule is good or bad or makes sense. <laughs> that is the definition of a rule breaker. Now, we're not talking about breaking the laws of the land. We're not talking about illegal or immoral or sinful things. We're just talking about curving the corners just a little bit. We have some rule keepers on staff. Boring. I don't want to name Pastor Brian or Jolene or Rachel or Pastor Andrew. That would be not kind. And then there are the Lord's favorites. They're the individuals who just see wiser ways to do things regardless of what the exact law says. Some of the rule breakers, Terry and Trudy, don't be surprised by their sweet demeanor. They're total rule breakers. <coughs> and then there's Jana. Oh my, 
total rule breaker. Now, some of you are probably thinking, what about Dave Mahler? That's what I'm thinking. Well, Dave Mahler is neither a rule keeper or a rule breaker. He's a trailblazer. <laughs> Dave Mahler makes his own trail. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord as long as Dave and Carol, you have earned the right to make your own trail and to follow it. We all admire them, and he just makes his own trail. Now, I remember this particular day, we were talking and we were laughing and we were going over the rule breakers and the rule keepers, and, and we kind of said, well, who among us ever toilet papered a house when we were teenagers? Now, I was sitting back polishing my halo, and I was appalled <laughs> at the nefarious activity of my co-workers. I mean, I think of Isaiah, named after one of the four prophets of the Old Testament, rest his soul. Isaiah is a total rule keeper. He toilet papered someone's home once. And he's such a rookie, he got caught. I mean, come on. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? But most of my co-workers are rule breakers, at least in their childhood. Now, why did I share this this morning? It's not to encourage the youth to toilet paper Jared's home. It's actually to divide children of the light, children of the day, with children of the night, children of darkness. Now, I was silly, but the text is not. The text has a dichotomy between those who have been redeemed through faith in Christ and those who have not yet been redeemed through faith in Christ. And the dichotomy is how we evaluate, how we value, how we create mores, how we create right and wrong in our life. With this introduction, I want to pick up and read Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 to 11. But you are not in darkness, brothers. So brothers tells us, he's talking to Christ followers. Christ followers, you are not in darkness for that day. Which day? The day of the Lord. The rapture, the parousia, the coming of Christ. You are not in darkness, Christ followers, for the return of Christ to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light. You are children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. As Paul begins in verses 4 and 5, he says that there ought to be a difference between children of the day, children of the light, and children of the darkness, children of night. 
Now let me step back and offer a couple very important caveats. He's not saying this to suggest that children of the light, children of the day, can look down on those who have not yet accepted Christ. He's not doing that. He's not doing it to suggest that children of the day and children of the light always are morally or ethically superior to children of the night or the darkness. In fact, we know that's not true, don't we? We all know individuals who are not Christ followers, who are incredibly moral, incredibly ethical, high humanitarians. They're the individuals that we want in our lives, we want as neighbors, we want as friends, and yet they don't yet know Christ. The truth is this. All of us need to take the next step in our relationship with the Lord. For someone who does not know Christ, the next step is to, by faith, believe in Jesus. For those who know Christ, the next step might be to become more and more like Christ, become more ethical, more moral, to love God more, to be more evangelistic, to be more mission-minded, to be more on point, more alert, more awake, more ready for the return of Christ. But there's nothing in the text that to me would suggest that every time a Christ follower is more ethical or moral than a non-Christ follower. They should be. We should be. But we're not always, are we? Why should we be? Because the Holy Spirit resides in us as believers and does not reside in the life of an unbeliever. So what should happen between children of the light and uh, day and children of the night and darkness is the following. Children of the light, the Bible should be our final authority. It should be our final authority. When God speaks, we should believe and obey. For children of darkness, societal norms or one's code of ethics or morals is one's final authority. Pleasing God should always be the highest goal for a Christ follower. And I've got to step back and ask, is pleasing God my highest goal? Sometimes and, and sometimes not. It should be. It isn't always. What's the highest goal for a children of night or darkness? Maybe it's a humanitarian goal, praise the Lord. Maybe it's a self-goal, but it's rarely, if ever, a goal of pleasing God. Sexual intimacy should only be within marriage for a child of the light. For a child of the night, it might be, it might not be. There might be other avenues that they feel are acceptable, but the Bible says no. And as children of the light in the day, I need to stand on the Word of God. Marriage for a child of the light is always defined as a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship. For those of darkness, it might be defined that way and it might not. There might be many redefinitions that are considered acceptable. For children of the light, pornography, even if one struggles with it, should always be seen as a scourge, as something evil, as something degrading and demeaning and devaluing. For the world, that may be 
or it may not be, depending upon one's moral code. For children of the light, we should always seek to tell the truth. That may be true for some in the darkness as well, or maybe there is some situational ethics or what is advantageous. Tragically, we all know individuals who don't know Christ who are more honest than some <coughs> who do know Christ, and it should not be. Christ followers should be highly ethical. Many children of the darkness are ethical, highly ethical, and some are involved in situation ethics. Unfortunately, some Christ followers are involved in situation ethics as well, but it should not be. Children of the light defend the widow, the orphan, the defenseless, and the unborn. More often than not, children of darkness defend the widow, the orphan, the defenseless, and a lot less true, the unborn. But it should be all for children of the light. There should be something different in my life than prior to coming to Christ. I should be taking the next step and the next step and the next step in my relationship with the Lord. There ought to be tangible evidence of Christ working in me. And the tragedy is, I know unbelievers who excel at some of these categories far and beyond where I do. It should not be. Because the fruit of God's Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of God's Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. God's Spirit works within me, and I need to daily come to God and ask Him to work on these fruit within me. I think a good, reasonable request on a daily basis, is to cite the fruit of the Spirit back to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to work on several of them in my life for the next weeks or months, and then several different ones, and then several beyond that, and continually asking God to grow me that I might become more and more like Christ. What I'm asking God to do is rescue me from me. That's why I need to daily put on the fruit. That's why I need to daily put on the armor of God. You'll notice in the text that Paul mentions two pieces of the armor of God. Elsewhere in Ephesians 6, he mentions six pieces of the armor. We need to daily ask God to put these on. The shoes shod with the gospel of peace and the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, which is being in the word of God and the shield of faith to put out the flaming darts of the evil one and the helmet of salvation, which is our assurance, our confidence that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And tying it all together is a spirit of prayer which tells me that I need to ask for these things on a regular basis. Let me read the text out of Ephesians 6, 13 to 18. Paul wrote it this way. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which sounds a lot like the fruit of self-control, <coughs> and his shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." As Christ followers, as children of the light, as children of the day, we need to regularly ask God to develop fruit, to put on his armor, that we might live out his values, live out his mores, live out his ethics, live for his glory. And then in verses 6 to 8, he says, part of living for his glory is to live soberly. It's kind of a broad word. It's more than just alcohol though it has a lot of alcohol thought to, to it. But it's beyond that. To be sober is not to allow things in my life that will keep me from mental and physical focus on the return of Christ. I want to be found, you want to be found, we want to be found doing the things that God calls us to do when he returns. When Jesus returns, what do you, what do I want to be engaged in? What do we want him to find us doing, saying, thinking? What attitudes? He says we need to be sober. Sober. Now the state we live in, the state we love, has some issues with sobriety. As you're probably well aware, the Wall Street Journal every year puts out a list of the drunkest cities in America. That list was published on May 18, 2018. They surveyed 381 metropolitan areas. They had three criteria. The three criteria were these. The Center for Disease Control says that excessive drinking is more than eight drinks a week for a female or 15 drinks a week for a male. That was criteria one. Criteria two is the percentage of vehicular fatalities that also includes alcohol. And criteria number three is the number of drinking establishments per 100,000 people or part thereof. So I thought, well, I wonder how Wisconsin did among the top 20. If you just take the 20 drunkest cities in America, now there's 50 states, so not every state is going to get one of those top 20. I wonder if Wisconsin had one. Do you think we had one? How many do you think we had? Seven. Seven, five. Somebody said 10, and you're right. 49 states had 10, and one state had 10. We had half. We had half. That's not good. We had the top four. Green Bay was number one. And more than 50% of vehicular fatalities in Green Bay were alcohol-related. 
more than 50%. So the top four were Green Bay, Eau Claire, Appleton, and Madison. Number nine was Wausau. We made the list. Other Wisconsin metro areas, Oshkosh, Dina, La Crosse, Fond du Lac, Sheboygan, and Milwaukee. God specifically focuses on sobriety as a necessity for not sleeping, for being awake, for being alert, for being ready for the return of Christ. Is it any wonder that Proverbs 20 verse 1 says that wine is a mocker and beer a brawler, those who are led astray by them are not wise. Like many Proverbs, you have a compare and contrast. You have wisdom and you have foolishness. Those who are foolish, according to the author of Proverbs, are those who are led astray by alcohol. Those who are wise are not. It doesn't say that alcohol consumption is sinful. It says that those who are led astray by alcohol consumption, those who are buzzed, those who are drunk, those who are worried about who the designated driver is, they are unwise. That's what the text says. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Again, we have a compare and contrast. Those who are drunk are involved in debauchery as compared to those who are filled with the Spirit. Do you see the contrast? In other words, those who are not alert, those who are not awake, those who are buzzed and drunk are not acting as though they're filled with the Spirit. That's clearly what Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18. Now, frankly, the word sober, nephomane, is, is beyond alcohol. I don't believe personally that the marijuana debate is a Republican, Democrat, libertine debate. I don't believe it is. And I'm not talking about medical marijuana for cancer patients. I get that totally. I think it's a debate on being awake, on being alert, on being ready, on engaging in the things that God wants us to engage in. I think it's a biblical debate. Because we are told to be alert and to be ready for when Christ returns. And I think this word clearly covers it. And we are called to be sober. When Jesus returns, he wants to find his church sober, alert, awake, engaged, on point, committed, doing the things that are needed to be done to advance the kingdom. Again, there should be a marked difference between children of the day, children of the light, and children of the darkness, and children of night. Unbelievers ask, is it legal? What's the legal limit? Who's the designated driver? Christ followers should be asking, how do I live in a way that I am always sober? That's what we ought to be asking. And again, I'm not saying that alcohol is always wrong. I don't think Scripture teaches that. But I think it always teaches that anything less than sobriety is outside the will 
of God for any Christ follower. And sobriety is an act of worship. It's an act of thanks, knowing that we have been rescued. We have been rescued from the bondage of sin, which is death. We have been rescued from the wrath, the righteous, meted out response of God to sin. Paul puts it this way in today's text. Again, I'll read verses 9 to 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Some of you may know the name Dr. Carl Bart. If you know that name, Dr. Carl Bart, you know that he was a world-famous theologian in the 20th century. Some say he was the greatest theologian of the 20th century. He's probably not from the theological persuasion of most of us. He was of something called neoconservatism, and it had a, a different view of Scripture. But clearly, he was a Christ follower, and he loved the Lord. And on one particular occasion, he was doing a Q&A after a lecture, and someone asked him this question. What is the most important word in the Bible other than a name for God? Now think about that for a moment. Let's suppose you were giving a lecture on theology. I bet most of you could do it. So you give that lecture on theology. Someone raises their hand and they say, what is the most important word other than a name for God in the Bible? What are you going to answer? Well, I thought about love. Because now three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So I thought that was a good answer. And then I thought about grace. Grace is a great answer. We are saved by faith because of God's grace. So I could go with faith. I could go with grace. I could go with love. He chose the word hyper. It's a Greek word. It's not even a verb. It's not even a noun. It's a preposition. On behalf of. In place of. It's a brilliant answer. He captured the gospel. That's what Jesus did. On behalf of. In place of. He who knew no sin became sin for us that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Why are we on point? Why are we alert? Why do we live as children of light? Why do we have different values? Why do we have different mores? Why do we live lives of sobriety? Hyper. Because on behalf of, in place of, Jesus went to the cross. He paid the penalty of sin. He took the righteous wrath of God upon himself. And he bought redemption for us. And the only right response is to be alert, to be awake, to be ready for the return of Christ. So three summary points. If you know Christ, you and I need to live as children of the day and children of the light. We need to forsake the characteristics of children of darkness and children of the night 
not that we in any way think we're superior. It's not that way. We're just guided by God's word. And we need to be guided more and more and more by God's word. We know that, that we are works in progress, that we need to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of an act of love by God, we respond in worship. And part of responding in worship is to be on point, to be awake, to be alert, to be ready for the return of Christ. That leads to point number two, sobriety. We can't allow anything to impact our physical or mental facilities and faculties. We cannot afford to be engaged in activities that will dull us to the work that needs to be done for the kingdom. We need to be sober-minded and sober physically driven to do kingdom work. And finally, we want to worship God because he's rescued us. Not because of anything we've done, not because we're somehow superior, not at all. We needed to be rescued because we're a mess. And we need to tell others that they too need to be rescued. And maybe you're here today and maybe today you need to be rescued. You need Christ, as we all do. And Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is declared righteous, justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Maybe today is the day that some of us embrace Christ. And may today be the day for all of us who are Christ followers that we take the next step and the next step and the next step and walk more and more as children of light, not in arrogance, not in pride, but in humble submission to the one who rescued us. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you that you would think of people like us, common sinners, in need of forgiveness, in need of redemption, in need of cleansing, that you would, through your Son, pay the penalty of sin as he died on the cross was covered with our sin, and rose again for salvation. And Father, if there are some of us who have not yet received by faith Jesus, may today be the day where each of us, by faith, asks for the grace, what we don't deserve, forgiveness and cleansing, and believe in Jesus for salvation. And Father, for we who have accepted Christ, there's so much work that we need your spirit to do in us. Allow us each day to ask for the armor. Allow us each day to put on the armor of God and to fight for righteousness and to fight for truth and to be in the word and to grow in faith and to be confident that you who began a good work would be faithful to complete it. And Father, develop that fruit of your spirit in us. Give us more love and joy and peace and patience. 
and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Father, develop these in us for your glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.